And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Hopefully you've been enjoying the wrestling over the last week or so. I know I sure as heck have, especially on the AEW side, but no one I talk that much about what's going on inside the squared circle this week, because I think honestly, there's a lot more going on outside of it. And more importantly, kind of looking ahead to the big show at the end of the month. And that is, of course, SummerSlam out in Nashville, Tennessee. So we're going to start off with obviously the biggest story of the week. And it's all about Vince McMahon, because of course we've been waiting to find out more about the Vince McMahon scandal as we've kind of been about a month into this whole thing about, I'd say round about that time. And of course, in traditional media fashion, it feels like any time that you want to break a news story, you do it on a Friday. A Friday news dump is the most vintage move of all time. And somehow, some way, the Wall Street Journal hit that damn thing on the head with this one with more allegations regarding NDAs. And again, these are all allegations and reports. But I don't think we'd be all that surprised if it were true. I was talking with a coworker about it on Friday when the news kind of came out and he was kind of comparing it to the whole Bill Cosby situation that we saw a few years ago, but I counterpointed. We all kind of knew because we hear about all the time in pro wrestling where your character is you amplified up to 11 to steal a spinal tap phrase, but you turned up all the way to 11. Vince McMahon, look at what he's done, especially since 2000. He's been wilding, and that's kind of where I think that there's absolutely some truth to at least some of these allegations. But according to the report from the Wall Street Journal, McMahon allegedly paid out $7.5 million to a former wrestler who claimed that McMahon coerced her into giving him oral sex, demoted her, and then decided not to renew her contract in 2005. And then the report went on to detail a total of $12 million had been allegedly paid out to four women over the last 16 years to quiet the allegations of McMahon's sexual misconduct, including one where he had allegedly sent somebody some unsolicited nude pics in 2008. Number one, that's mind-blowing that that was actually happening in 2008. Because you remember the phones du jour back then in 2008-ish? Not everybody and their mama had an iPhone. I'm sure Vince did have an iPhone. I wouldn't be surprised. Either that or maybe it was a flip phone. I don't know. Is we haven't seen the photos. Thank God we haven't seen the photos. But it's not like nowadays where we have these phones that can just take like 4K video. And it's just right in the palm of our hands. It's a little bit of a different era, especially when you think about back in 2008, this allegedly was happening. Probably not the best quality, but you can probably make out what it is. It's absolutely wild that that actually was a thing that was written in a report from the Wall Street Journal. Thanks to the people who have an account and also kind of sent this stuff down the pipeline on all the wrestling sites because that helped me kind of aggregate this story is I am not signing up for the Wall Street Journal just for that kind of stuff. That said, I think we need to talk about the wrestler because I think that's the one that we're kind of trying to figure it out. Now, if we ever find out who it is, we don't want to kind of like just publicly be like, hey, answer this question. 
No, let them answer it on their own time. Because who knows how that all came came to be. You don't want to kind of throw somebody under the bus that may not have had anything to do with this at all. But you kind of can narrow it down because of the fact there was a time frame in 2005. And 2005 was a crazy year for different superstars getting their releases, getting future endeavor. You had Matt Hardy, who returned later in the year. Christian, who wound up going to TNA to be Christian Cage. The Dudleys, those are some of the big highlights of that year. You all said Rhino, Maven, amongst others. They all got let go. That said, there were five women that were released around this time frame. Jackie Gata, Molly Holly, Christy Hemme, Dawn Marie, and Joy Giovanni. And I think out of all five of those, there's only one that could probably be taken out of the conversation. And that's going to be Dawn Marie. Because of the fact that there's been allegations that, and I think it's a lot of it's true, where at the time Dawn Marie was actually pregnant with child and was released during that, then wound up getting into a big courtroom ordeal because of that. I think they might have settled out of the court or something because of the legality of actually firing somebody while they are pregnant with child. Again, I don't know the whole story, but I remember that being a big topic back in like late 2005, early 2006, whenever I spent a lot of time on wrestling forums, which was a very different world compared to now where everything's almost at a, like you can just see guys like Sean Ross Sapp and Dave Meltzer whenever you'd probably just get a bunch of guys spouting off hot takes about everything under the sun just on forums versus Squared Circle, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. But the name that everybody's bringing up in this is Christy Hemme. And it's largely because the timeline and everything that happened to her in her career links up fairly well and kind of fits that timeline a little bit too well. First off, she was pushed heavily after winning the first Diva Search and also got the Playboy cover in 2005. Had a WrestleMania 21 match. Then she wound up kind of not getting as big of a push, was slowly but surely phased out, was part of the new Legion of Doom gimmick with Heidenreich that failed miserably. And that was followed by her being kind of sent down back to the minors to Ohio Valley Wrestling for quote-unquote seasoning. And then she got released that December. And Hammy has mentioned in the past, there's in fact a column that TNA Wrestling had on their website back in 2008 when she was working for them saying that she left on her own terms. But if there was indeed an NDA, we can't necessarily take that as the Bible truth. There's a lot of uncertainty in all that was said there. However, there's one name that hasn't been brought up all that much. And I think it's the fact that this person has largely disappeared from the sport of pro wrestling. She pretty much just became a ghost. And that's Joy Giovanni. She got released in 2005. I believe she got released. It was like the summer of 05. She had a couple decent angles was a big part of the JBL Big Show feud. She was Big Show's girlfriend and the angle, all that stuff. But outside the Mania 25 Battle Royal, she just completely went ghost. And that's something just to kind of chew on for a little bit. Because, again, we don't know who it is. But I feel like those are the two names that I wouldn't be surprised if those linked up somehow. 
Jackie Gata, Molly Holly. I feel like those two could be interesting parts, but I feel like their red herrings more or less compared to Christy Hemi, who again, it fits the timeline almost perfectly. Now, the other thing that happened was not long after the latest round of allegations is Netflix decided we're going to go ahead and pull the plans on the Netflix documentary. The streaming giant decided that this was what it took to end this. Not the other allegations, not the initial stuff and potential you know, stock market. We talked about that a lot about a month or so ago on the podcast. But this was enough to kind of say, we're just going to go ahead and pull it and we're going to move on from it. Which honestly, they probably should have never done it to begin with. Because you know Vince McMahon would have wanted a hand in it. And if you've seen what happens when you have a documentary, not just based on McMahon, but any property of the WWE, you wind up seeing it be a little bit more skewed in favor of them and shines them in a much better light. At least that's what I've seen from my POV. I just find that amazing. But what's the next domino to fall? And that's something I don't know, and I don't know where to kind of begin. Because if there are more damning allegations that come out, we're obviously going to keep you updated, and I'm almost certain there will be. There's be more stuff about this coming out. I think over the next couple of months, if not like six, seven months down the road, there's going to be more stories that do indeed come out. How many more NDAs are there? That's the other question I think we're kind of wondering, but we'll kind of keep you posted there. I just don't know where to go from here. It turns the next domino to fall. What's it going to take to get Vince McMahon not just off of the day-to-day operations in terms of your creative, but just out of the business altogether? He feels like a guy that's pretty stubborn. About stubborn as a mule when it comes to this kind of stuff. Because he would, if he any normal owner if they were under these kind of allegations, would probably have stepped down the day it came out or even days before. But this is not a normal human being. The other thing I want to get to is the fact that they've been building up since, I mean, this is going back to one of the craziest, you know, things I saw from Money in the Bank was the fact they're starting to really promote the main event of SummerSlam as the final encounter between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. And I did a little research. And we've seen, or it's been built up, as a one-on-one match for five matches. Since the main event of WrestleMania 31, five times, this match has already happened. And honestly, it is well past time to put this thing to bed. And a lot like everything, you know, It's a law of diminishing returns. Eventually, if you have the same thing every day of the week, you're going to get bored of it. You're going to get complacent. You just really won't care about how that thing tastes. Like, let's say you go get McDonald's every single day. You get a quarter pound with cheese and a fry, and you have that every day for about a week. Probably by about day three or day four, you're probably going to get sick of it. You've got to change it up a little bit. Shake it up to where it doesn't feel mundane and boring. And ever since 2015, going back to that WrestleMania match, 
it was very much built and designed to be a passing of the torch and solidify Roman as being the guy that was going to lead this company into the next decade, if not decade, plus a la what we saw with Triple H, Batista, and Cena versus JBL at Mania 21. Now, of course, the first encounter was overshadowed because of the fact you had the greatest money in the bank cash in in history and probably ever because I don't think anything is going to be able to top that. Even if you have that cash in take place at WrestleMania again, there's no way you're going to be able to hit that kind of level ever again. So I think Seth Rollins has the greatest cash in in history and probably will never be beaten. I'll just go ahead and say that. That's my hot take there. And that was likely changed because there was never really any clear idea of what they were going to do with Seth Rollins, if he was going to cash in then or not. But when you think about it, this was a time whenever the fans were absolutely rejecting Roman as being that guy. They weren't a fan of being him being pushed down fans' throats. It didn't help, it didn't help matters really when you also had him be basically the same exact guy he was when he was part of the shield. Even had the same theme music, had the damn vest, all that stuff. Now they finally have changed it almost seven years later, and it's worked. But here's the thing that's kind of boggling my mind about why we have to have this. And it's something I think that's been the biggest drawback to WWE and why their ratings have steadily gone down. It's the over-reliance on part-time guys. And also, you think about it, Roman's been established as the top guy and the be-all end-all of the WWE for the better part of two years. Going back to SummerSlam 2020, when he returned from his exile from the WWE to focus on himself, and more importantly, focus on his health as the COVID-19 pandemic was really kind of rearing its ugly head. He, in fact, stepped away from main event at Mania against Goldberg. But now, two years later, Damn near to the day, Roman Reigns has no sign of stopping. And to me, you're kind of spinning your wheels at this point by running it back instead of giving us a legitimate contender and even building up a halfway credible contender. Because here's the thing. You've got plenty of guys. You just haven't built some of them up properly. Like, let's say Edge, if he jumps back to the babyface side of the ledger. And that feels like the direction they're going to go. If you wanted to, down the road, have a match with Roman versus Edge one-on-one after all the stuff he's been through dealing with Judgment Day, I think there's something to be said there. And there's a lot of entry to see what happens going forward. But seriously, that's been the biggest issue the last seven to ten years, if not a little bit longer, is the over-reliance on part-time talent with guys like Triple H, Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, Lesser extent, John Cena taking spots away from younger talent, especially at the show of shows. These guys are missing out on an opportunity to not just make a good bit of money because of the WrestleMania bonus, but also I think the biggest thing is you're missing out on an opportunity to set up a match where when Roman does drop the title, we get an incredible star-making performance in the process. You could have had that going back to Mania 30 with Brock Lesnar not beating The Undertaker. And instead, let's say, hypothetically, Roman Reigns did defeat The Undertaker's undefeated streak. Or Seth Rollins did. 
or somebody else that was a really solid name in 2014 that needed that one extra kind of oomph to get super over and become like one of the top heels in the business. It was a missed opportunity. I think that's the bottom line there from my point of view. And we continue to see it in 2022 with this. We could have gotten Roman versus Seth, Roman versus McIntyre. Hell, you could have probably given us Reigns versus Lashley. Just give us something a little bit different. And if this is indeed the final encounter, the only thing that's really making me not necessarily lose my mind over it is the fact that this could be billed as a true final encounter because the series is tied at 2-2, two and two, taking away the Mania 31 main event because that became a triple threat, according to the Book of Records. So in a sense, I'd be able to accept it, but it continues to befuddle me as a longtime fan that we continue to have these things kind of run well past their time like an Orton Cena feud. Imagine if, like, hypothetically, you saw Macho Man Randy Savage and you saw Hulk Hogan feud and wrestle multiple times over multiple pay-per-views, over multiple shows for the world title or just in general. You had that match at WrestleMania. Then you had a match at SummerSlam, but that was a tag team match. So at least you had some form of variety. At least you had that. But with this, like an Orton Cena or a Lesnar Reigns, it's the SOS. Same old stuff. But we'll end the podcast this week. With some questions from the fans. I haven't done this in a long time because I don't normally get that many questions. So I'll say this. If you want to send me some questions about the sport of professional wrestling, you can gladly hit us up. I'll answer them. Send it to me in all the different channels, Twitter, Facebook, text message. If you have my number, carrier pigeon, telegram, tell a friend, tell a wrestler, all that stuff. That's how you can hit us up. And also I'd say email as well. Go ahead and hit us up CajunStrongStyle at gmail.com. That way, not just for that information, but also maybe we could come up with some stuff down the road for us to send to you. So make sure if you haven't already, get in on the action and let us know what you, you want out of the show. And also, if you have any questions about the sport of professional wrestling, you want me to answer, I'm more than willing to take that task on. And I'll shout out a guy, Martin. He actually wound up messaging me right before I was about to tape and saying, and he's a regular caller on the game, actually. He threw out two questions for me. The first is, do you think Paul Heyman turns on Roman at SummerSlam and joins Theory? The second is regarding whether or not Sasha Banks is legitimately released or not, because we've been hearing a lot of rumors and innuendo and all that stuff. I'll kind of break through and get between the weeds and try and make sense of it, because it is very confusing. I'm not going to lie. So I'll get to the Sasha first, then I'll get to the other question, because I think that one's a little bit more clear, precise, and I've got a point on it. So with Sasha, honestly, I'm not sure if she's been truly released at this point. She is no longer on the internal roster sheets, but that's more because of the fact that she is being suspended and no longer getting paid in this. Now, how much that plays into the legal game where you could probably wind up releasing her and then giving her her severance in the sense of whatever money is left. Either that or you have basically a la Tony Khan, the WWE 
is going to very much let this thing run out. That's kind of where a lot of people's mindset is at this point in time. That's where I'm at. And just based off of the rumors, again, there's nothing official because like the contract situation with a lot of superstars, it's very different compared to how we see it in professional sports. I don't see the WWE outside of an occasional big name getting a contract renewal for five years or something like that. You don't see it that often. You've got to actually go look it up. And it's different, especially when you compare it to the NFL, for instance. Like if I go to Spot Track and pull up the New Orleans Saints contract for, you know, Drew Locke or something like that. I'm just using Drew Locke as a random name that just popped in my head. But let's just say, hypothetically, you want to find out the contract status for Alvin Kamara. I go to Spot Track, type in Alvin Kamara, and boom, it's right there. I guarantee you, if I t- type in Spot Track, Sasha Banks, Naomi, or even, well, probably autocompleted Naomi Osaka from uh, tennis. There's no true websites that's showing you every single contract in every single company. You're kind of having to base this off of not as much rumor in your window, but sometimes just the guys like Sean Ross Sapp and Meltzer in terms of where their contracts are. I wouldn't be surprised if they were to release her, but I feel like letting her contract run out and basically putting her on ice might be the better situation in the long run. And the other question Martin asked me, I'm going to go ahead and reset that. Do you think Paul Heyman turns on Roman at SummerSlam and joins up with Theory? Now we get to that. And I say there's absolutely no way Heyman turns on Roman to join up with Theory. He's already been aligned with Vince McMahon and he doesn't really need another mouthpiece. Roman needs that mouthpiece to really bring people into the building. Because while his promos right now are the best he's ever had... And our outstanding, Heyman and his gravitas takes it to another level. And that's why he's truly one of the best managers of all time, which is, I think, something we'll get to in next week's podcast. That said, I think if he does turn, he'll join Brock, and that'll be that. But I don't think that's going to happen either. I think, if anything, Theory's going to cash in no matter who wins and then lose right after. Because you need to have somebody who could... Take the L and it not it doesn't wind up hurting them as much in the long run. Because I think Theory is a guy who could probably do a lot like what the Miz did. Whatever he cashed in, then somehow, some way, he wound up getting the money in the bank briefcase back and cashed in to beat Bobby Lashley for a second title and lose it just a couple weeks later on Raw. Never forget that because I got mentally uh, not mentally ill. Physically ill after that in 2021. Now, if those two were actually correlated, it's a different conversation for a different day. And maybe a different podcast. We'll maybe talk about that down the road. I know I'm detailed a little bit more back in 2021. So if you haven't checked out the full podcast and every episode that we've got, because we got reviews for damn near every pay-per-view going back to 2020. I'm talking like peak pandemic 2020. But don't worry, we've still got plenty more to get to in the sport of professional wrestling. We'll do that next week. Maybe even, like I'd say, later this week. Because I know we got the G1 Climax. I was wanting to get to that, but didn't have nearly enough time in this week's pod. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. And make sure, if you haven't already, you subscribe to us. However you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. And also, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go ahead and leave us 
a five-star review. If you're in the Tokyo Dome, I think it defaults to six stars. I don't quite know that. I haven't confirmed because I've never been to Japan, but I feel like that's the way it is. Leave us a five-star review and also write us a review too because if you do, we'll mention that on the podcast. So until next time, you take it easy. Enjoy the wrestling. Yeah.